following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. How strong are you? How strong are you? I've got one muscle that's so strong, it can damage, it can destroy, it can even kill. In fact, it's so deadly that God caged it behind my teeth. It's in a wet environment, so it's slippery to control. And the interesting thing about this particular muscle is that God's so concerned about it because all of us in this room have a massive difficulty in controlling it. It is truly what the Bible has to say in Psalm 141, verse 3, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. How many of you have not, at one point in your life, wished, the moment you said something, wished you could take it back and cram it right back down your throat? We're all in that particular situation where we realize that we need to have a guard over our mouths. One of the big reasons for family and friendship failure is Proverbs 10:19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is what? Wise. Psalm 39, verse 1, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. Now, why should you be concerned about your tongue, about your speech, about the words that come out of your mouth? Well, because there are many, many reasons, and I would like to highlight at least three of them there in your outline to kind of help set the stage for what we're going to read in the book of James. First in your outline, your words are a thermometer of your heart. Your words are a thermometer of your heart. Your words accurately expose your spiritual condition. Your conversations actually tell you who you really are. Just like a thermometer gives a good reading of the temperature, so your words, your conversations, the speech that comes out of your mouth gives you a good temperature of your spiritual condition. Your heart, it exposes it. In fact, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 12. He says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. He says, measure your heart by your words. By your words. Recall the last intense marital discussion that you had. Recall the last time your children made you angry and what came out of your mouth. Uh, recall the, the last conversation students you had with your group of friends about somebody who really bugged you. And then you'll know the condition of your heart. Then you'll know what's really going on inside of you spiritually. Your words are a thermometer of your heart. They actually indicate your maturity level. And that's why you need to ask the Lord every day, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Secondly, your words are dangerous. They're dangerous. A little, very little difference between a gun and a tongue. Very little. James 3 is going to tell us today that the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. One of the biggest lies I ever told when I was a kid was, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. That is a lie right out of the pit of hell. 
because your bones will heal stronger than they were before, but there are words that can be said that will damage a person for their entire life. Every single person here has been cut by words that you have never forgotten, and they might be years or even decades long, but you still remember them. That's the power of words. In fact, we need to remember what our Lord said, our Savior, our friend who loves us and wants to care for us, and he says these words in Luke chapter 12, verse 3, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in the inner rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. We must take slips of the tongue in even our normal conversation a lot more seriously. The Bible even teaches in Proverbs 18.21 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. What's more serious than death and life? I'll tell you what's more serious. Heaven and hell is more serious than death and life. And eternity is also measured by your words. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, he says, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, every careless word, they shall give an account for it in the day of what? Judgment. For by your words you will be justified, listen, and by your words you will be what? Condemned. Your words reveal whether your heart is regenerate or not. Casual talk is serious talk. Your words are dangerous to you and to others, encouraging you to set a guard over your mouth. Thirdly, your words are infectious. Infectious. Words spread sin. Words spread unbelief. Words infect others with doubt and mistrust. Look at the nation of Israel. Multiple times they were delivered and they complained. They were delivered by the ten supernatural plagues. I mean, amazing deliverance. But how do they respond when the Egyptians were marching after them? They became frightened and they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Oh, man, bunch of whiners. Call the wambulance, all right? Next, they sent 12 spies into the land. Ten came back full of fear, full of doubt. Only two came back full of faith, but the ten, with a heart of fear, expressed in words to the nation, infected the people of Israel so severely, it led to 40 years of discipline and delay. Words did that. Infectious words. Your words are contagious. Your words can cause others to think less of other people. Not to listen, to doubt God's word, to distrust leaders, to question God's goodness and wisdom and power, even to divide up against others, and even to physically lose strength. Your words are caught by others, right? Just say one thing in front of a four-year-old and you're going to hear it for months, right? You know, when you catch a cold, you thoughtfully, even more now today than ever, you don't touch others, you carefully cover your mouth when you sneeze or talk. God says, would you please do the same with your conversation? With your words, begin every day with a prayer, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. 
So last time in James, this is weeks ago now, in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, we discovered that first in your outline, your talking has the proficiency to determine. It, it has the way to determine your path. Look at James chapter 3, verse 1. It says, let many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. And he first instructs Bible teachers. Why? Because Bible teachers talk a lot. And they use their tongues the most. And obviously, in order to please the Lord, they need to be born again. They need to be called as teachers. But they're going to be judged with greater scrutiny because they're dealing with God's word. And then he goes on, for all of us, in verse 2, for we all, all of us, stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he, what, says... He's the perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And James is reminding his readers that the ultimate indicator of genuine maturity is the Christian who has learned to control his or her tongue. Your tongue will tell you just how godly you really are. How you doing? Secondly, James taught us in verses 3 through 5 that your talking has the power to direct you. Verses 3 through 5 here. A little talk and make it big impact. He says, now if we put bits into horses' mouths, verse 3, so that they obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at ships. Though they're so great and are driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. The mouth, full of an amazing muscle, has the power to direct our entire lives. Both for good and for bad. Both for ministry and for sin. Uh, both for discipleship and actually destroying other people. The tongue. In other words, that's why you need to put a guard over your mouth. And what that means, and we'll see more of this as this progresses, but you must not say everything you think. Our society says, say everything you think. You must not say everything you think, because everything you think ain't that good. Are you with me on this? You have a lot of thoughts that blow through there that your wife never needs to hear after she's worked all day, slaved. And you come home and bing, just one thing, and she blows up and you're like, what happened? What did I say? Because you were thoughtless and you should have not spoken Timing's everything. Uh, you, you, you must not speak those words of anger. Wait. Train yourself. Resentment, criticism, gossip. Modifying one commentator. Let me read this to you. If, if your tongue, quote, was controlled so that you refused to express your insecurity or block yourself from venting your anger or unwilling to speak negatively about that leader, then all that internal sin is stopped from corrupting you and from influencing others. By controlling your tongue, you stop those sins from being spoken. In effect, you turn off the master switch and you deprive sin from being birthed. It is the guarding of the tongue, which is not only evidence of that spiritual maturity, but the means of spiritual maturity. But James now is not done talking to us about the tongue. This is a big deal. So this week, James continues with verses 5 through 12. So I want you to read that from your outline, if you can read that microphone. Uh, read that with me, and let's do it together. And some of you here this morning need to warm up, so please speak out loud, okay? And let's uh, generate some heat here. Uh, starting at verse, halfway through verse 5, let's go. Here we go. 
see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Point number three in your outline for today, your talking has the potential to destroy. The potential to destroy. That's what James is saying here. His next point focuses on the tongue's tremendous potential to devastate people. You say, well, why don't I have friends anymore? What happened? You know, why is this marital relationship difficult? Why is our family crumbling? Part of that is your words. And just like a little tongue, like a rudder on a ship can steer that giant ship for good or evil. But here, verses 5 through 7, he's saying it has, this little tongue has that incredible capacity to do massive harm to others. Like a fire burns, one, and then he goes, uh, a vicious beast bites or a deadly poison kills. Now, he's not mentioning any specific problem here. Have you noticed that? There's no, like, in this situation, you know, he doesn't talk about that. Basically, he basically says that the tongue can talk about anything and the tongue can destroy everything. That's why he doesn't say anything specific. There's no evil found in the heart of a man or a woman that the tongue cannot promote and the tongue cannot spread and the tongue cannot destroy. That little muscle can burn everything that's good in your life. Burn it. So first, how does it burn? Fire. Verse 5. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. We Californians, we know about wildfire, yeah? You know, they look at, how do you survive the earthquakes? How do you survive the wildfires? Oh, you know, just the way you survive tornadoes. That's what people say to people in the Midwest, you know. It's a little spark, a reckless smoker, could be a hot tailpipe, could be a careless camper, but a spark can burn thousands, sometimes millions of acres, can it not? Just by a spark. It can kill countless animals. It can destroy human life and property. James says a huge forest can be destroyed just by a simple match, simple spark. Your words start fires. Look at Proverbs in your outline there, 1627. A worthless man digs up evil while his words are as scorching fire. Proverbs 26, 21, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Uh, in the past, in other places, I've known of female malicious tongues that have destroyed a church, absolutely destroyed it. I've known of an evil mouth that left a church and the church was restored to a loving body because one person left. I know of a large church that fired one of its pastors because he was so negative and so critical it was damaging the body of Christ. 
Your tongue's a fire. It's a fire. We have to guard our mouths. Proverbs 26, 20, for lack of wood, a, the fire goes out, and where there is no what? A whisperer, contention dies down. Wow. October 8th, 1871. 8.30 in the evening, a lantern in Mrs. O'Leary's barn, presumably kicked over by the cow, we don't know, started the Great Chicago Fire. Before it was done, 17,000 buildings were destroyed, 300 people died, and 125,000 others were without homes. Just by a single lantern, fire is damaging. Would you agree? Consider the power of fire. It is extensive. The, the damage from a tongue is literally devastating. And fire is uncontrollable. Once spoken, the, the damage of the tongue cannot be stopped or undone. Do you understand that there are things that you say that the damage can never be reversed? You say, what do you mean? I was a man who was really guilty and uh, saw the consequences of his gossip, constantly gossiping, tearing down person after person, person in his community, he finally went to his pastor and said, what do I do? What do I do? And, and the pastor said, look, I want you to take a feather and I want you to put it on the, the doorstep of everybody that you've slandered in town. Well, that's a lot of people. Yeah, well, you do it. You take that feather. You put it on every doorstep. So he did that. Of every home, of every person that he had slandered, he came back and says, well, I did it. And he says, well, what do I do now? And the pastor said, go pick them up. And he said, well, wait a minute, by now they've blown all over the community. He goes, so have your words. They can't be recovered. The point of gossip and slander and things that we say is you cannot fix it. Once it's done, it's damaged, it's burnt. And that's the point. Did you notice the, the four phrases that James uses to describe fire danger of the tongue? Did you notice there in verse 6, four elements of danger. Now understand, think before you speak. Because although you can't call it back, you will always answer for it. Always. So what's he say? First, the tongue is a fire, verse 6, the very world of iniquity. He's talking about the world here. He's not talking about the earth, but a system of iniquity, evil, rebellion. The tongue is the vehicle of ungodly behavior uh, coming from within sinful us. Your conversations, especially when they're um, damaging, can breed every sort of sinful desire and your talk is a vehicle and even though we have no more old nature we still have a sin residuum and, and it's like the mouth is the vocal point you know it's the it's the proclamation of whatever's of remaining sin within us making the tongue the only body body part that has far-reaching potential to do massive damage secondly verse six uh, the second phrase the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. Uh, the system of evil spreads out and contaminates the rest of the body. What he's saying, he, to expand the metaphor here uh, just a little bit, the destructiveness of the tongue is like smoke. It penetrates and permeates and contaminates everything that it's exposed to. Uh, whatever the fire itself can't destroy, the smoke permeates. In other words, the damage cannot be undone. I know you've been tempted, okay, because I did it myself. You ever bought something at a fire sale? You ever been to a fire sale? Come on, maybe four of you. You know what I'm talking about? A big fire, and then they, they, they try to sell all the stuff you know, that they have. You get a shirt or a coat at a fire sale, I don't care how many times you wash it, 3,000 times, 
You put it in the ocean for a year, you come back out, you put it on dry it off, you're going to smell like a chain smoker, okay? You're just going to stink of smoke. It, you can't ever get rid of it. The point of this, his analogy here is that ultimately, it's going to stain the whole person. Listen, you may, in, in your work environment, your home environment, your church environment, some environment where you're with people, you may stop criticizing, but you've created a negative environment. It doesn't matter what the environment is. You may stop gossiping, but you've destroyed trust that can't be undone. Understand the damage of our speech. Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23, that that which proceeds out of the man, that which defiles the man, from far from within, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within, and they defile. They defile. Our speech defiles us. It defiles those we talk about. Now, I don't want to take anybody off the hook here, but this is really not a, a major issue at our church, but I have been a part of churches where this was a major issue. And it would be my prayer that it would never become, oh yeah, we, we, we sin with our tongues. I'm not, nobody's off the hook here. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay, we're there. But as a church, that's really not the dominant feel. And it needs to stay that way. We need to guard what we say. We need to put a guard over our mouths and continue in that. Thirdly, look at the next phrase in verse 6. It sets on fire the course of our life. Like physical fire, the destructive effects of evil speech expand not only to contaminate ourselves, but everyone who hears us. That's what he's trying to say. Everyone. That's what he meant by the course of life. Now, circle that phrase, the course of life in your Bible, because you're going to love this, you Disney fans. That literally means the circle of life. We're not talking about the Lion King here, okay? But what he's saying here is that he's emphasizing the tongue's evils extend far beyond the individual to affect everyone and everything in your sphere of influence, your whole circle of your life. To a large extent, we are known by what we talk. We are known by what we say. Over time, what we say gives a pretty good idea of who we are and what we're all about. And what we really are like. The principle applies to good speech as well as sinful speech. But James' emphasis here in verse 6 is entirely on the negative elements of our talk. Such as gossip or slander or false accusations or lying or filthy language or presumption's a big one. Uh, the proverb even says presumption leads to nothing but strife. You're speculating about people. That's very damaging. All of which can destroy individual lives. They can destroy families, they can destroy friendships, and they can destroy churches. And fourth, most horribly, verse 6, and is set on fire by, what's it say? Hell. The Greek word set on fire describes an ongoing thing, so the tongue is permanently, he's saying here, connected to hell. The, the tongue gets its fire from hell. The tongue can be as evil as hell. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but James is the only epistle in the New Testament that uses the word Gehenna. The only place, the only other place in the New Testament where Gehenna is used, or hell, is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
And the only person who uses the word Gehenna in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus and his half-brother are the ones who have talked to us about Gehenna. Gehenna means of Hinnom, of Hinnom. And Hinnom is a valley that is just uh, south of Jerusalem. It's a, a ravine, and it's the place where the city dump existed. And in the city dump, they would put dead animals, they would put uh, criminals, uh, they would put all their garbage, all their refuse, and it was burning 24-7, and there was always worms working it through, and this is our imagery that the Bible uses, that Jesus uses, that James, the half-brother of our Lord, uses here for hell. That's what hell is like. In fact, Mark chapter 9, verses 43 tells us, unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. The fire never went out. So Matthew 25, 41 tells us that hell is Satan's place. Hell was prepared for the devil and his demons, so hell is used as a synonym for Satan and his demons. So by saying, and he's saying here, the tongue is set on fire by hell, the apostle James is telling you this. Your speech, my speech, your conversations, my talk, your talk, your tongue can be the devil's tool. It can be the devil's tool to accomplish his purposes. What you say can be Satan's most effective instrument to accomplish his goals. What you say can be Satan's most effective tools to accomplish his goals. What are those goals? It's pretty obvious. He wants to pollute. He wants to divide. He wants to destroy. He wants to undermine God's authority. He wants to slander. His very name means to accuse. He wants to accuse, presume, and most of all, he wants to lie. Right? That's what he is. That's what he does. And your tongue is an unbelievably dangerous and destructive tool for the enemy if you let him. And you might even have noble motives, but shouldn't be said. And that's why you need to guard your speech. Psalm 39, verse 1, I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a, say it, muzzle. And again, 141, verse 3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Put the fire out, and then watch out for the, secondly, the beast. The beast. Verse 7 and 8, every species of beasts and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the, say it, the tongue. Not only is tongue like a fire, it's like a dangerous, uncontrollable animal. The tongue is restless and can't be ruled and, and it seeks its prey, then pounces and then, and then kills. You ever done this? I never did this and it, it, I resent it till to this day. I never had the capacity to go through one of those safari parks, except over in Africa. I guess I did it there, but in, in the U.S., you know, they had a safari park where you could drive through the park with all these lions and tigers and dangerous animals. Are you with me? Anybody do that? Don't raise your hand. That's all right. What do they tell you? Sign every corner you turn, every time. There's, do not open your door. Keep your doors locked. Don't open your window. Don't, don't. Why? Why? Because these animals are 
dangerous. They're going to kill you. They're going to eat you, okay? And understand, for 6,000 years, crazy human beings have been taming these crazy deadly animals, right? There isn't a single, from killer whales to giant bears, James says, we've tamed every kind of animal, every species, including those that walk and fly and those that can crawl and swim, birds and beasts and reptiles and creatures of the sea. And animals from every category can be tamed by the human race, the wildest, the smartest, the, the fastest, the most powerful, the most elusive, and the most dangerous, but, and there's the but, even though animals can be tamed, James says the tongue can never be what? The danger's always there. You might be that super godly 80-year-old saint here this morning, but your tongue is still deadly, absolutely deadly. No matter who you are, when he says no one no one, meaning no human being in his power, can tame the tongue. Only God can control the tongue through his spirit and his word, and that imperfectly. And why is it imperfect? Not because God's involved, but because we're involved. We're involved. And like a wild beast, the tongue is restless and unruly and uncertain. Even for Christians, that tongue can easily slip out of its sanctified cage behind our teeth and actually do great harm. Like a beast, the tongue is wild, it's undisciplined, it's irresponsible, it's savage, and talk can often be so subtle, it sometimes escapes notice until the damage is done. So tame the beast and make sure you don't drink the number three, or thirdly, the poison. Don't drink it. It is a restless evil, he says in verse 8, and full of deadly poison. Your tongue is so evil that it is restless, and the word restless means unstable. And that's what James is trying to communicate to you. Are you getting it? That even though you walk with Jesus, even though you love him and want to honor his word, your tongue is still unstable. It's unstable. The idea is of a wild animal fiercely fighting against the restraints of captivity. That's your tongue. Evil chafes at confinement. And is always seeking a way of, to escape to spread its deadly poison. And venom here is... is is more deadly than a snake's because it can destroy in many ways. And the deceptive character of poison is that it works secretly and slowly until it kills. How many times has some malicious person injected a bit of poison in a conversation just hoping that somehow it would spread enough to finally stab the person they're trying to hurt? Right? They're with a circle of friends, but they're complaining about someone else, and they say something evil so that it will spread to that person. What you say can poison your friends, poison your family, poison your church. James is asking you, would you release hungry lions or agitated snakes into this gym right now? Would you release hungry lions and agitated snakes into this gym right now? Now, if you're a junior higher, you're going to go, yes, absolutely. But for the rest of us, we'd probably, I hopefully, would say no, but a poisonous tongue accomplishes the same results. It destroys people. One godly woman said it best, whenever she heard gossip or slander of any kind, she doesn't go to the phone, she goes to the throne, right? So, it has the potential to destroy, and number four in your outline, your talking has the potency to, to be duplicitous, duplicitous. James next characterizes the tongue as ready to compromise. It's duplicitous. It's 
It's treacherous. It's two-faced. The tongue is not just a wild animal, but a clever and subtly deceptive instrument. It's hypocritical, eagerly willing to deceive and in order to achieve its own evil advantage. And James explains it two ways. He uses human nature and nature itself. So first in your outline, you know the tongue is treacherous through human experience. Human experience. Look at James 3 verse 9. He says, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Now, this might be hard for you today, and I can't tell whether you're unresponsive today or you're just freezing cold. I'm not sure. But will you admit that this is you? One moment, here you are, Sunday morning, singing praise to God. Your heart is right. You love Him. You worship Him. You're saying amen to the Word. And yet not an hour later, maybe minutes later, maybe you're in the parking lot, you have a child that misbehaves and you say something that's a little bit too harsh. Somebody says something and, and you respond a little too harsh. A, a driver cuts you off the road and you say something. It comes right out of your mouth. The line is too long at the restaurant for lunch. Rah, 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 rah. There it goes. Chick-fil-A still isn't open on Sunday. <laughs> and it comes out. You curse people. You've just been praising God, and now you curse people. You, you damage them. You say something negative. Anybody with me? Anybody willing to admit it? Thanks. Our tongue is treacherous. Look at the inconsistency of us. Every believer should use his tongue to bless our Lord and Father. Now, what does that mean? John Piper says it this way. He says, when, when God blesses men, they are helped and strengthened and made better off than they were before. But when we men bless God, he's not helped, uh, God's not strengthened, and God's not made better off. Rather, man's blessing God is an expression of praising thankfulness. I want to write that down. Blessing God is praising thankfulness. It is right and good for you and I to express our gratitude and admiration for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to bless God with praising thankfulness. But that same mouth must not curse men, criticize men, slam men who are like God. What he's saying here, look at the tense there, have been made in the likeness. That means that the divine likeness, the image of God in men that is imparted to men and women at creation has not been totally obliterated by the fall. It's still there. And the treachery of the tongue is we bless God with praising thankfulness and then we curse men with the same mouth. And yet even that rude sales guy and that loud lady in the store remain in and retain the likeness of God. Even unsaved people retain the likeness. Now God's image in man is a massively marred by the fall. Some work harder at, at being extra wicked. But men continue to be like God in many ways. And the likeness of God is chiefly that people are personal and rational and moral beings. And beyond all of God's creatures, people possess the attributes of reason, will, and consciousness. Made in the image of God. Reason, will, and consciousness. And only people have the ability to know and serve God. And only people have the capacity to be conformed to God's moral and spiritual likeness. Your dog doesn't get that. They love you, they wag, they're nice, they're the better pet. But understand, 
Therefore, to curse a man is to insult God whose likeness that man still bears. And James says it's not right to glorify God with praising thankfulness and curse people with the same mouth. It's inconsistent, James is telling us. It's hypocritical. Look at verse 10, the first part. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. Every single one of us has been guilty of that hypocrisy to some extent. I mean, think about Peter. Here he is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and just, you know, moments later, I, I never knew the man. Denies him. In fact, verse 10 then gives this strong negative. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Ought not to be this way. No genuine Christian mars their profession of faith, their testimony, their witness by regularly, regularly, the use of unwholesome and godly words. We're all going to make a mess at time to times, but the pattern of your life should not be swearing, slander, gossip, harsh talk. That should not be the pattern of our life. James says there's no place in the Christian life for duplicitous speech. It shouldn't come out both ways. And finally, James adds three illustrations from nature that demonstrate the sinfulness of unwholesome talk. Look at secondly in your outline. You know the tongue is treacherous through nature. Through nature. How often do we bless God in our praying and singing and curse men in our anger and impatience? And James is basically explaining the two-faced sinful speaking using three straightforward, simple illustrations. Uh, sometimes James is, is scary abrupt. And so he does that right here. He's not only abrupt, but he, he gives these three illustrations and then doesn't explain them and just ends his discussion on the tongue with them. Just stops right at the end. You're like, wait, don't we need a conclusion? No, you don't need one. You don't need a conclusion here because this is very straightforward. This is very direct. So here are the three illustrations on the test of the tongue. Number one, verse 11, does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? What's the answer to that? No, and the text actually tells us that it's no. And the same spring and fountain does not issue forth two vastly different kinds of water. It's impossible for there to be sweet water and salt water. And so it should be impossible for a biblical tongue, a tongue that is under the filling of the Spirit of God, to speak both blessing and cursing. Here's your goal. Look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. And this is in particularly directed towards those who don't know Christ. He says, let your speech always be with what? That's those rude people. Put your mask on. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I could very, very, very quickly violate this entire message. <laughs> we better close in prayer right now. <laughs> Let your speech. <laughs> oh man, I'm convicted. Uh, let your speech always be with grace. Always. In those non Christian situations, at stores and on airplanes. As though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. They should be tasty, not, not harsh, not stabbing. 
Look at two. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? And again, the text expects an answer, and that answer is what? No. Such a thing is utterly contrary to nature, and therefore our speech, which comes from a brand new born-again heart, should not be and contain mixed talk. There should not be both spirit-filled speech and flesh-filled speech. A hateful heart cannot produce loving words, and a loving heart cannot produce hateful speech. And finally, he concludes three, nor can salt water produce fresh. And the assumed answer is, no, it can't. Your mouth should not be both salty and fresh. And James, no stated conclusion here. Three illustrations from nature. The examples are so clear, there's no application needed. It shouldn't be that way. It should only be sweet. It should only be building. It should only be what we read in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Read it aloud with me. It's there in your outline. You need to hear this verse both in your head and in your heart. Let's read it out loud. Ephesians 4, 29. Ready? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Take this home. Letter A. When your speaking is inconsistent, it exposes a problem in your heart. The problem isn't your tongue, it's your heart. Matthew 12, again, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. When you sin with your mouth, confess, repent, and ask for help to overcome. But ask the Lord, all right? If you've got a constant tongue problem, or there's certain circumstances at home or at work where your mouth is doing damage or relationships where it's not, you need to ask beyond confession, beyond repentance, you need to say, Lord, what's going on in my heart? Reveal to me why this is coming out of me. Show me what I'm struggling with here. Ask yourself, what in my heart is driving these words? And then confess the root issue. Because the root issue is your heart, not your speech. Letter B. If you're not filled with the Spirit, then your talk is in the flesh. Uh, when you're not living in the Spirit, you're living in the flesh. And the, and the Bible goes this, over this over and over again. The flesh here, Proverbs 17, 20. He who has a crooked mind finds no good, and he who is perverted in his language falls into evil. Then there's the Spirit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Proverbs 25, 11, Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. And you know the power of that. Someone has said something at the right moment to you that you also never forgotten because it was the right words at the right moment to minister to your heart. That's the power of the tongue. In Ephesians 5.18, you, you know this, but let me remind you that being filled with the Spirit is living every moment dependent upon the Lord, in other words, relying on the Spirit of God, intentionally walking in obedience to His Word, so you're engaging your will to walk in obedience and you're seeking to exalt Christ in all things. It's not for your desires, but for His will and that He would be exalted. That's when you're filled with the Spirit. And the results of being filled with the Spirit, are you ready? Now this is so important, changes your speech. When you're filled with the Spirit, it changes your speech. So the issue is don't fix your tongue Fix your relationship with the Lord, get filled with the Spirit of God, and then He will change your speech.
Because he changes your speech so that you'll speak the truth. He'll change your speech in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, verses 19 to 21, he says you'll speak others in truth, you'll sing in your heart, you will give thanks in everything, you'll express humility toward one another. Listen, you and I can't control that evil beast, that poison, but the Spirit of God can. And as you rely on Him, He will then begin to help you control what you say. And you'll begin to make progress. Will you be perfect, yes or no? No, but you will make progress. He can change it. Letter C. Every genuine Christian must determine to set a guard over their mouth. You've got to take your speech seriously. Again, I think it's the fourth time. Psalm 141, verse 3, in the sermon alone, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth, keep watch over the door of my lips. Practically speaking, you know what that means? It means listen more than you talk. For those of us who have this propensity to talk, this is really a challenge. But guard your conversations. Guard your words. It means asking questions before answering. Understanding. You're seeking understanding. It means not answering immediately. You're not in a debate. You're not on a timer. Wait, think, pray without ceasing. It's, it's, it's saying things like, let's not have this argument right now. Let's cool down. Let's pray. And let's come back and talk about it when we're in the Spirit. It's never allowing all of what you think to be expressed. It's practicing words you know that the Lord is pleased with. You know the Lord's pleased with, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you. I love you. How can I help you? I appreciate you. You know he's rejoicing with that. Listen, students, guarding your mouth may mean answering questions in sentences rather than grunts, okay? How you doing? No, no, no. Yes, I'm doing fine today, mother. You know, it's, it's answering in sentences. It's avoid trapping your parents in their contradictions. Mom said this, dad said this, aha! no. Who wants to live with a jerk who all they want to do is listen to you to point out your error? It may mean changing your friend group because they just won't stop talking about others. Letter D. The only way to speak like a Christian is to be born again in Christ. Christian life is Christ in you and through you. It's not a religion. It's not a system. It's Christ in you and through you. The only way you'll ever begin to see your speech change in an eternal way, in a way that brings joy to others, that builds up others, is that you realize, don't put your stuff away yet, is to realize the bad news. The bad news is that God is angry with you because of your sin, your speech, your selfishness, your pride, and a, and a hundred other sins. But the good news is that he's punished his son in your place. Now, there, there, I, I can't tell you why God did that. Why would he do that for a person like me? But he did. Out of incredible love and mercy, he punished his own son, and he took the punishment on the cross that I deserve. He experienced all of hell that I should have had for all eternity because of what I've said, what I've done, 
how I've thought, how I've lived. And he did that. And when you embrace Christ as your life, then he covers you in his righteousness and all your sin falls on him and you're, you're forgiven. You're cleansed, you're washed, you're made new. And you won't want to live the way you've been living. You'll want to live the way he wants you to live. And it'll be a progress. But you'll want to turn. You'll want to change. You won't stay in that immoral lifestyle. You won't stay with your tongue doing that damage that it's done. You, you'll, you'll want to begin to make progress. And you'll want to put your hope in him. And he'll do that for you. Would you cry out to Jesus Christ? Say, give me a new heart. You don't have to walk an aisle, prayer, prayer, raise a hand. You none of that. You just, in your heart of hearts, you need to say, Lord, I, I am sick of my sin. I hate my sin. I hate what I've done with my life. I hate how I've damaged people all around me and myself. And I, I want forgiveness and cleansing, and I want to be made new. Please, I beg you, change me. Transform me. And if, when it's from a heart of faith, he will transform you. And he will change this terrible little instrument you'll actually start to be able to occasionally start to do some some really awesome things with your speech amen let's pray heavenly father thank you for again james and and just the way he's so practical he's so direct and father we would ask that you would work in our lives so that we would be more like you and that we would guard our mouths uh, we would seek to build, seek to encourage much more than we tear down gossip or slander or divide. And Father, we're so thankful that you love us enough to empower us to make those changes. And those who you don't uh, have not yet come to you, Father, would you begin to start that process to draw them to yourself. Father, they may have been in a church for years, but Lord, they've never come to a point where they've been broken under their sin and they've responded by surrender by faith and repentance, we pray that you would do so now and bring yourself glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.